God, we just rest in your presence right now with the truth of that ringing in our heads and our hearts that you are the great God of the universe. God, you're the one who gives us life, the one who sees us through hard times, the one who has a plan for us. God, you're the one who's tender to us. You're the one who wants what's best for us. God, we thank you for the chance to be in your presence. God, it, it, it's, it's more than we can comprehend that from the beginning of time you were and you're here now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, if it's your first time at North Point, a special welcome. I just want to echo something that Chris said at the beginning. We're doing a welcome lunch next Sunday. And um, if you've been around for a while but not done a welcome lunch, I've talked to a lot of people. And one of my, the questions that I ask over and over again is, um, how long have you been at North Point? And uh, have met just in recent weeks a lot of people that have been here for a year, a couple years, whatever, may, maybe a few months that haven't done the, the welcome lunch. And we would love to do that with you so we can know you and so you can get to know us a little bit better. It's going to be my first one. So uh, uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, go ahead and uh, call the church office and, and tell them that you want to come next week and that will be great. First service, um, right down where the Gleasons are, my dad was sitting. My dad is in town, and uh, he is actually in the class, that the group that meets back there, life group that meets on the other side of the wall. So if you see a guy hanging around with, uh, with Deb and me after the service, uh, dad is 85, getting close to turning 86, and um, he is terrific. I, the reason I introduce him is because if you've heard me kind of tell my story um, one of the things that I say over and over and over again is that I really have been incredibly blessed to have um, people close to me show me what Jesus looks like, um, been there to show me who God is all of my life. My mom died about uh, three years ago at the end of October. Um, my dad is, he lives outside Dayton, and um, he came up to spend the night at the cottage on Friday night. The cottage is not insulated. Um, and they actually slept with the oven on and the door open because that's what kept them warm. So um, if you see Dad, tell him I said, hey, or tell him, introduce yourself. Do, do whatever you do when you meet somebody like that. <laughs> I'm not sure where that was going. Um, we are in this series called Life at the Lake, and that's good. Um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, all kinds of things help show me the presence of God. And during worship today, I spent some time looking at the windows, um, just having that sense of what it is like to look out at water. Um, we're, we're, this series is all about Jesus. It's about understanding who Jesus is based on how he interacted with people and um, the stories of his life that happened particularly in Galilee, in the area around the Sea of Galilee, uh, a, a, a big lake that's there. And, um, and we're going to look at one of those accounts in just a second. But keep in mind, this, this is all about Jesus. Um, 
Interesting story I found this week. In December of 1943, um, there was a dogfight over Germany, and a German pilot named Hans Stiegler um, came upon this American plane and it had every reason in the world to shoot it down. Um, the plane was wounded. Uh, um, you know, it was, it was kind of just hanging in the sky, crippled. Um, he had clear, empty shot at it. And yet, as he approached this plane, he, he recognized that they weren't firing back. And as he got um, close to the plane, um, he realized that, that most of the crew was wounded. Um, Stigler had every reason to shoot down this plane. Um, if, he, if he made the kill, if he shot this plane down, he would receive the German equivalent of the Medal of Honor. His brother had been wounded and killed by Americans earlier in World War II. But as he got close and realized that, that um, this was a defenseless plane, he, his perception was that for him to shoot it down would be murder, would be killing in cold blood. The, the pilot of that plane, the B-17 pilot of that plane, was a 21-year-old West Virginia farm boy. It was his first dogfight, his first time in combat in the air. His name was Charles Brown. Um, his, his bomber had been shot to pieces during that fight. His gunner on the back of his plane, um, his, his body was literally frozen over the machine gun um, from the altitude. Um, they were paralyzed. They had been shot up. The plane was wounded. The crew was wounded, um, and he was stuck. As Stigler came upon the plane and was ready to shoot, again, he got within three feet of the plane, and, and something stopped him. He looked at the pilot and nodded to him and then guided the American plane um, back over the North Sea um, until, until they were back in, in airspace. He protected them so that the German um, anti-aircraft fire wouldn't shoot down this plane. About 50 years later, five decades later, Charles Brown um, tracked down Stigler and met him and ultimately brought him to the U.S. for a reunion of the crew of that plane. And at that reunion, each of the members of the crew showed pictures of their children and grandchildren, people who would not have been born except for the tremendous act of compassion of Hans um, Stigler. Incredible story. You know, there are acts of compassion that happen around us. This week, as I was thinking about this message, I, I, I just started reading all kinds of stuff. Incredible stories after the Boston Marathon, stuff that happened. Uh, a, a, a runner who went into the tent and, um, and in the tent realized the carnage that was there and came back out and just simply sat down on a bench because there were people wounded much more seriously than he was. He had talked to a guy in the tent, and the guy came out ultimately to help talk to him, and he had left. He had, he had gone someplace else to be treated, and he realized that when he did, there were bloody footprints. The guy had taken shrapnel in his leg. He was a, he was a runner at the end of the race and had gone someplace else. He tracked him down, and he said, you know what? There were people that needed help far worse than I. Um, there's a story that, that happened in March that was national news about um, – it, it's a story that – that I, I think um, many of us can relate to. An 11-year-old girl in, in Colorado um, contracted, or contracted, she was struck with neuroblastoma with cancer, um, went through the whole chemo thing, lost all of her hair, and her best friend shaved her head. Uh, just an incredible 
act of compassion and outreach. That's why I shave my head for, you know, in solidarity with Crystal. There we go. It happens all the time. Um, there is, yeah, yeah I'm so uh, just full of compassion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Compassion is what the message is all about today. And again, we're going to take a look at Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're going to start in, in um, verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. Again, Mark is the biography of Jesus. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, um, uh, we would love to have you have one. Uh, after the service, go out, uh, go to the welcome area. Um, just tell them, hey, he said something about a Bible. Is there one I can have? And um, we would love to give you one. That way you can write in it. You can kind of follow along. Uh, You can read it at home as well. We're going to start in Mark 1, verse 40. A leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. You know, when we read scripture, a a lot of times we have this kind of almost comic book version of what we see in scripture. We, We read the accounts and we have a vision in our head. Sometimes it's a vision that may come from like the passion of the Christ. We have this picture that we've seen portrayed in film. Maybe it's one of the Jesus films. Um, done by Campus Crusade. Maybe it's one of the films back, you know, when they did the big um, spectacular things back in the 60s, the stories of, of Jesus. But we have this picture when we read, and we miss some of the historical context of what an account like this is all about. In the Old Testament, in the, in the Jewish nation, in the first century, there was this sense that leprosy was the worst kind of sickness that you could acquire. The reason that was the worst, because you could get disease and die, but if you got leprosy, the, the biblical law, the Old Testament law, um, was written to, to, re, to remove a person with a communicable disease from the contact with all of the other people. Um, some, of the, some of the most simple things, if you had leprosy, was that any time a, perps, a person with leprosy, this is a skin disease, was in contact, was around people who didn't have leprosy. They had to cover their mouth and shout, unclean, unclean. And what would happen is people would spread out. Because if a person with leprosy touched a person who didn't have leprosy, that person would become ceremonial unclean. They would be in danger of catching the disease. And they would have to go through this process of purification that would involve complete separation from everyone else. If you had leprosy, once you received that diagnosis, if you went to the priest and the priest said, yep, you've got leprosy, it was a a sentence of isolation from everyone. 
A person with leprosy couldn't live in the city anymore. They couldn't live in contact with the, with the people that they had been in contact. They could no longer touch anyone, including family members. The Levitical law actually said that they had to have a six-foot space around them. If the wind was blowing, they had to stay 150 feet away from people to protect those people from leprosy. So you can imagine, think for a second, just if you will, if you were diagnosed with leprosy, no more contact with your kids, no hugs, touches, kisses, no more contact with your spouse, no more family gatherings for the holidays. It was isolation. The people who were lepers lived in a leper colony, completely isolated from the rest of the nation. A crazy, crazy sense of isolation for them. And in the context of that, this man who has leprosy comes to Jesus uh, with, an, with an action that is incredibly bold. He comes to Jesus and says, if you will, heal me. This many people together this morning, there's, there's all kinds of stuff I know that's going on in your life. Some of you are, are dealing with issues at work that are more than you can stand. Some of you are dealing with family situations that it's like, you know, I don't know what to do. There's so much drama, so much trauma. I don't know what to do. Some of you are dealing with grief that's deep inside you and you don't know what to do. Some of you are just struggling and lonely and you don't know what to do. Let me encourage you to take the step of the leper and to make this your prayer this week. Jesus, if you will, heal me. And trust that he will respond in that process. He has the ability to change everything, to change your circumstances, but he also has the ability to change your perception of everything, to understand that maybe for the first time, there is a God who loves me and everything changes as a result of that. Um, If you will, heal me. After he was healed, this leper went and told everyone. It's an incredible thing to experience the healing of God. And even though Jesus said, the, uh, the language is interesting. The language says that Jesus sternly told him. If, if you do a uh, study of those words, it, Jesus got in his face and basically said, don't tell anybody. And this was not a psychological ploy. Okay, it wasn't, oh, I'm going to tell you not to say something so that you'll say something. Jesus said, don't tell anyone. But he couldn't help it because everything had changed. If you look at that scripture, do you, do you see what Jesus did? Which is such an incredible picture of the compassion of Jesus. It says in verse 41, Jesus moved with pity. And the word there is the, is the compassion word. Jesus, from deep inside him, saw everything that this man had experienced. The loneliness and the isolation, the separation. Moved with pity, Jesus stretches out his hand. And touches him and says, I'll do it. Be clean. Again, put into your mind this sense of being removed from everything and removed especially from hugs 
and touches, shaking people's hands, um, anything. And Jesus breaks the Levitical law, reaches out and touches him and says, I'm going to do it. Be healed. He has the ability to do that in your life. What's, what's your picture of Jesus? What's the picture that you have in your mind? Is it, you know, the, the picture of Caviezel from Passion of the Christ? Is it, is it a picture from a movie from a lot of years ago? Is it a cartoon Jesus? A lot of times, uh, you know, with my dad here, I, I, I said just a, a second ago, um, my picture of dad has been, my picture of God has been molded incredibly by my dad, by my dad's patience, my dad's consistent love, my dad's um, steadfastness. For some of you, that's not true. You know, I, I know there are a lot of you that your relationship with your dad was bad. He may have been gone completely. He may have been just not, con- not emotionally connected. He may have been distant. He may have been abusive. All of that. What's your picture of God? What's your picture of Jesus? Because when we start to look at that and really figure out who God is, all of a sudden stuff changes. It changes dramatically. In the Old Testament, there's uh, one of the attributes of God is compassion. Uh, let me share just a couple of scriptures uh, um, as you look back to the Old Testament. In Psalm 145, there's a, there's a verse there that the psalmist writes that, that's familiar to us. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and loving kindness. The psalmist says God is gracious and full of compassion. What an incredible picture of the character of God. In Lamentations 3, it says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, His compassion never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This past week I did a study of compassion in Scripture. And you know what I found? Uh, something that was, in, that was just very, very interesting to me. When you think about the God of the Old Testament, lots of people, their picture of God in the Old Testament is that He's this wrathful, vengeful, mean God. He's the, he's the God that had nations be killed. He, he, there's this sense of the justice of God in the Old Testament. And we think, oh, you know what, the God of the New Testament, the God of Jesus is different. God in the New Testament is loving and kind. And it's the same God. Here's what I found this week, especially as I looked at the prophets. And the prophets would come to the nation of Israel and say, you know what, God is a just God. God is going to deal with your sin. You've got to change. And then right along with that, over and over and over again, they would say, God is a compassionate God. He's a God full of compassion and full of mercy. If you turn, if you change, God will remove or withhold that punishment that's going to come. That's the picture of God. God is full of compassion for us. When we respond to Him, um, we can respond to that compassion in an in a incredible way. Um, the New Testament um, talks, uh, we'll get to the New Testament in a second, to some greater stuff in the New Testament. Jesus said, um, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so it's no surprise at all that Jesus would be characterized 
by compassion. In Mark 6, in a, in a passage that we're going to look at in a few weeks, the, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people, it, uh, Mark 6 begins this way. It says, as Jesus landed, he saw a great crowd waiting, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. This series is all about the character of Jesus. Jesus, when he saw them, was moved with compassion. As you are here this morning, if you've got that stuff going on, understand that there is a Savior who loves you, who sees where you are, and gets it. In Luke 7, there's a story that happens in, the, in a town called Nain, um, and it, it says this, As Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, don't weep. He came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And he did. Jesus has the ability to change anything, even to raise the dead. He had compassion on her. The main point of today's message is this. Jesus is full of compassion for those who come to him humble and broken. When you read through the New Testament, the, um, Jesus responded differently to different groups of people. You know, he responded very differently to the religious leaders who said, it's got to be this way, who created this, this artificial set of laws for what it was to interact with God. But for the humble and brokenhearted, the people who were hurting, Jesus reached out and touched them and said, I will. Jesus is characterized by this compassionate heart. Probably the most famous teaching of Jesus. You've got the Sermon on the Mount, but if you start to talk about a story, probably the most famous teaching of Jesus is the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan where this, this guy makes this journey from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He, d- he goes on a path that's like, um, it's the worst possible place to go. So he goes in an area at night where um, thieves are known to be. He takes that journey, and what happens? He gets mugged. Um, all of his stuff is taken. His money is taken. Um, he's beaten. He's left naked and, and just all torn up. And what happens? Some religious leaders go by. And they say, "Mm, got stuff going on, can't stay. Don't pay any attention to him. They act like he's not there. Another religious leader comes by and walks by intentionally on the other side of the road so he doesn't have to interact with him. The guys who were supposed to get it didn't. They didn't respond. They didn't react. And this, this man from Samaria, who should have been an enemy of this Jewish man, yeah, he was, a, he was a guy who didn't have anything in common. And, and they're, they're, um, ethnically, they would have despised each other. But he stops, picks him up, carries him um, uh, to an inn, um, binds his wounds, puts ointment on him, and, and says, get him well, I'm going to pay for it. And in the midst of that parable, that parable starts with, with, um, with the, the people asking Jesus, who's, your, who, who's my neighbor? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? And he finishes and says, who then was this man's neighbor? 
one of the religious leaders, it was the person who recognized the need and responded to it. How do we respond to a compassionate God? How do we respond to a Savior who is full of compassion for us? It's, it, is, it really is with compassionate hearts. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate. That's the challenge for us. Colossians 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. If we're to respond to a God who's full of compassion for us, we need to respond with compassionate hearts. When, when do we see the need for compassion? It really is when we're on the receiving end, when we need it. Um, yesterday, my sister and my dad came up. They went to the cottage. We did some stuff. We're going to close the cottage probably this weekend. We went up to bring back the kayaks, to take, bring the kayaks back to our house. We have a trailer with six kayaks. So we load up the kayaks, you know, start the process of shutting the cottage down and uh, get about mm, 10 minutes away. And I get a call from my sister who's in the car behind us. And she says, do you know that you blew a tire on the trailer? And I said, matter of fact, I didn't know that. So we pulled to the side, get in the back of the van, Looking for tools, you know, I don't carry tools to jack up a trailer necessarily. Nothing really works. And you know what? I'm, I'm thinking about today's message and thinking, you know, it would be such a great sermon illustration, God. It would be so great. If someone would come, you know, with power jack, zip, it's up with the, with the air gun and go, zzz, and the, the nuts are off. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Finally, after a long period of time, got the trailer jacked up, got the tire off, rusted bolts, you know, the whole deal. Do that, get the spare on, leave. The spare is flat as well. So we limp back to the cottage and um, Deb's saying, you realize that you're leaving a trail down the road of rubber because this tire's so flat and the rim's pushed on it. Yeah, I know. We got it back. So the trailers are still at the cottage. Got to get some uh, new tires for the trailer this week. Um, when is it that we want compassion? That we want compassion to be a part of the world that, we're, that we live in? It's when we need help. But our default is typically not to act with compassion. Um, one of the reasons I love my wife is because she has a heart of compassion. And one of the reasons that I love her so much is because I don't. I mean, that's, that's n my default is not to have this sense of compassion when people are in need to, ju to just have that um, overflow out of me. Deb is the one saying, you know what? We can stop. We can stop. That person needs help. That person with the trailer. Now, you know what? You know what's going to happen. Anytime that you guys in the future see a trailer with kayaks and a flat tire, that's, that'll be easy, right? But the challenge for us 
is to ask God to shape our hearts and change us so that we can act with compassion out of our hearts. Because what we want to do is to think, okay, we leave today's message, I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to figure out how to do that, and I'm going to act with compassion on a regular basis. The danger in trying to do compassion, you know, to live that out, is that it's not about doing compassionate acts. It's about having a compassionate heart. That's what God calls us to be, not to do. He wants the change to happen inside us, inside of us so that when we see the need, we automatically res- respond in the way that Jesus did to reach out and touch the unlovely and to act with compassion. You know what's so hard is we live busy lives and, and, the, and the opportunities that God gives us to act with compassionate hearts will not come in our schedule. They won't do it. It will happen at work when there's a project deadline. It will happen at home when your kid needs to get on the bus to go to school and you're feeling a sense of pressure. It will happen when you've got to be someplace in a certain amount of time. That's when it's going to happen. And the challenge is to put aside our own schedule and to respond as Jesus did, to take a risk. Um, you know, the, the, um, again, as, as I was working through stuff for this message, so many, so many stories, so many things going through my mind. Do you remember the story? I can't, I can't think of the guy's name right now because it's not in my notes. But the, the guy who was the homeless guy in Ohio that, um, with the big voice that had the sign that said, radio DJ or whatever, um, homeless, help me. And, it, and the story got on the news and there was this tremendous outpouring of love. For most of us, if we were to see someone like that, what do we do? Uh, we, we do the religious leader thing. We pass by on the other side. When we see the guy on the side of the road, we roll the window up, lock the door. God calls us to respond somehow. And I'm not just talking about homeless, uh, that kind of thing. The Holy Spirit will prompt you this week. He'll give you opportunity. And let me encourage you to not just do it as an act, but to let your heart be changed. Because Jesus acted with compassion. Because God is a compassionate God. And we desperately need that from him. When we recognize that, we can respond the way that God would have us. In 1947, Robert Pierce was part of uh, an organization called Youth for Christ. Many of you know Youth for Christ. And um, their purpose was to go and evangelize the world uh, to make a difference there. Um, He had held a crusade in China and thousands of people had made decisions to follow Jesus at those crusades. This is, uh, again, the late 40s. On that trip, he met a missionary named Tina. She presented him a child who was beaten and battered and abandoned named Dwight Jade, who had given her life to Jesus at one of Pierce's crusades. Because she had chosen to follow Jesus, she had been abandoned by her family. She had been beaten because of the decision that she had made to follow Jesus. 
Kina, this missionary, said to Price, what are you going to do about this girl, White Jade? Pierce gave Tina the last $5 he had and said, use this to take care of her and next month I'll send you five more dollars to do the same. Robert Pierce became the founder of the organization World Vision and that model, that sponsorship model is a model that continues that's impacted hundreds of thousands of children around the world. Um, Deb and I sponsor two children through Compassion International in Ecuador. Every week, or every month, we send, we send money. We pray for them. We have their stories, their pictures up on, uh, on the refrigerator. Pierce recognized that there was a need and that he could do something about it. While Pierce was preaching, he saw widespread hunger. He said that he felt compassion for others. He later wrote these words when he was on a trip to Korea in the flyleaf of his Bible. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Let me encourage you, as an action step in in today's message, write this down. Write it down and, and put it someplace where you will interact with it on a regular basis. That may be on a file card that goes up in your bathroom. You'll see it first thing in the morning. It may be that you put that file card on your dashboard. Maybe that you put on your desk at work. Make this your prayer because God will answer this prayer. Let my heart be broken with things that break the heart of God. Because it's not about doing compassion. It's not about doing acts of compassion. It's about God changing our heart to be like his. To recognize that there are people all around us and you know what? That act of compassion may come in any number of ways. It may come to somebody who's grieving. It may come to somebody who's in crisis. It may come to somebody who's just by themselves, who's alone and lonely. Let my heart be broken by things that break the heart of God. Understand that there is a Savior who loves you desperately, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. God loves you. Picture in your mind, wherever your hurt is, Jesus reaching out and touching you like he touched the leper. And as a result of that compassion, that love for us that he has, that he would shape our hearts, he would change us and make us like him, and that we would act with compassion that would just spill out from inside us. Let's pray. God, sometimes I'm just lost for words when I realize how, how incredibly much you love me. You love us. Lord, I know the ways that you have touched me, the way that your compassion has spilled out and washed over me. And God, I ask now for me and for us as a church that you would take our hearts 
that you would let our hearts be broken with the things that break your heart. God, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us see things that are around us that we've been oblivious to. People, God, and situations that are desperate for your touch. God, give us courage to act beyond barriers. People that we have seen in the past as repulsive. People that we've seen in the past as not having anything in common with us. God, free your spirit to work in us and change us and reach out and touch. That you might be glorified, Lord. That people might come to know you. That they might sense your healing through us. Break our hearts, God, with things that break your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand together and sing.